brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Election College, Episode 39, The Election of 1896. A new wave of presidential politics and things get realigned a bit. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Ben. Yes, Jason. Uh, we just had Grover Cleveland in office for the he second time. He was just time. in my living room, actually. Was he? Mm-hmm. That's kind of creepy. It's a little creepy, but, I mean, either way, uh, he was there, here, so. There he was, man. Yeah. That is wild. Well, it's time for a new election because, well, it's 1896, by golly. Well, there you go. Well, what about Grover? I mean... I think he would probably be, he, he's been here for two terms. Why not go ahead and just keep him around for a third? There's no law prohibiting that, right? Yeah, but things are kind of depressed economically, and I think it would just be best for Grover to move on a little bit. Well, fortunately, Grover pretty much agrees with that. He had some offers to potentially nominate him for different parties and Probably could have got some support within his own party, but he was kind of like, nah, I'm good. I'm done now. I'll just step on back. (laughs) Fade into history. Step on back, Grover. Step on back. So we have heard the name William McKinley. And he most notably was the governor of Ohio. And he decided, hey, I'm from Ohio. I'm a Republican. I'm going to run for president. (laughs) It's the late 1800s. (laughs) I fit right in. That joke was probably funnier the first time we told it like two episodes ago, but either way, it still works out. Uh, He was, um, he was pretty much, he was, I think the last guy to serve in the American civil war Mm -hmm. that then became president. Spoiler alert. Sorry guys. I know I'm supposed to say it beforehand, but you know, you could read the title of the episode or something like that. He was the last president (laughs) to have served in the civil war. Um, He served in the union army, of course, as all good presidents did. 
And um, <laughs> then afterwards, he settled on down in Canton, Ohio. Started, what, why don't you take one guess what his profession was, Jason? I mean, this is going to be a real shock. Hmm. He was a professional football player because that's where the Hall of Fame is, right? That, that's right. He was a professional football player who also was a lawyer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then from there, of course, he went on to be elected to Congress, yada, 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 run for president. Right. So he's chilling out in Columbus doing the governor thing. And he's like, okay, I, I'll step aside. And at the convention, at the Republican National Convention, which was in St. Louis, the Republicans were like, we like you. And they didn't go back and forth on this. It was, it was pretty much, you're our man. And one really fascinating part of this particular nominee is that he had a spin doctor. He had Mark Hanna. And his very own <laughs> Wizard of Oz. He really did. And we're going to see Mark Hanna. His name is going to pop up here and there over the next several years. He was a money-making machine. Yeah, for real. I mean, if if you need money raised in a presidential campaign in 1896, look no further than Mark Hanna. <laughs> uh, he, and Mark Hanna really, from everything I can see and, and read, seems to have started and kind of created a lot of the practices that we even see still today mm-hmm. as far as raising funds for campaigns and getting the the uh, candidate's name out there. Um, he he raised three and a half million dollars for the campaign. And if you were to put that in today's money, I think 2012 money, it comes out to about $3 billion, which $3 billion now is like, oh yeah, it's $3 billion. But three and a half million in that time, especially was quite insane, especially right after the whole Gilded Age, you know, or right during the whole Gilded Age, really. Exactly. Uh, That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. And keep in mind, we are in, well, I was going to say in the middle, but towards the end, I'm speaking somewhat prophetically. Mm-hmm. We're towards the end of a, a pretty severe depression. So, yeah, that is just a whole lot of money. So, thanks, Mark Hanna. If you're a Republican, you really like him. There were some other nominations as well. The Speaker of the House got nominated, a couple of other senators, um, the one of the former vice presidents. But... None of them even were really strongly considered enough to to speak about it. There was really no contention. They just were like, all right, all right yeah, Kenley, you're good. Yeah. And as far as the VP went, that was pretty unified too. Uh, Garrett Hobart, he got the place on the ticket. There was a little bit more of a race there going on, but eh, Garrett yeah. Hobart, he's our man. When you win two to one, it's not much of a race, hardly. But that's true. Yeah. So, what about the Democrats? The Democrats are, uh, you know, they're always divided nowadays. Back here in post Civil War times, what happened with them? Yeah. Well, Ben, this is the first mention of this guy, and we are going to hear a lot about him for the next oh 
half century. I was going to say <laughs> at least like 30 that. years. Yeah. Yeah. So William Jennings Bryan, and a lot of you are going to recognize that name. William Jennings Bryan was only, I believe he was only about 35 years old or 36 mm-hmm. years old, which keep in mind, you have to be at least 35 years old to run for president. He is this gifted order. I mean, he's basically speaking and people are in tears, people are cheering, people are just captivated by the very charismatic William Jennings Bryant. And we'll get into some of the campaign tactics here in just a moment. But about a month after William McKinley is nominated, the supporters of silver-backed currency took control of the Democratic Convention. Now, the Republicans, let's think in terms of color. You want to think in terms of color a little bit, Ben? Red and blue? Is that that too stereotypical? How about gold and silver? Okay. (laughs) So, the Republicans think gold. They were very much proponents of the gold standard. Whereas the Democrats, and this had not been the case so much before 1896, but with William Jennings Bryan at the helm and being propped up by others, those who wanted silver-backed currency were really behind William Jennings Bryan. So the Democrats get together about a month uh, after the Republican National Convention. They gather back in Chicago because they wanted to take in some White Sox and Cubs games at this point, I'm sure. Of course. And and hang out on Lakeshore Drive and, and all that. But anyway, they were the silverbackers. And they were like, William Jennings Bryan, you're awesome. You're <laughs> our man. And just to back up for just a second, the um, if you're confused about the difference between gold-backed and silver-backed and what we're talking about, what do you mean currency is backed? Um, this is probably a subject we could do a whole new spinoff podcast about because it's so deep and right. still so heavily debated nowadays. But at one point in our nation's history, every dollar had the equivalent amount of gold stored away somewhere. So one way or another, there was something. If you went and turned in your dollar bill, you could get a little shaving of gold. Yeah. At this point in time, there's a debate over should the standard become gold because gold's getting more prominent or should it move to silver, which, believe it or not, was a little less prominent and therefore more valued. So what we have here is the disparity with people thinking, yes, we should continue with gold. No, we should continue with silver. And it becomes a real hot button issue. And then today we're just like, we don't, we don't have a standard for our money. What do you mean? It's just worth what we say it's worth. So, well, all that to say, if you're confused, you're with a lot of other people, but there's lots about it to read if you want to. Yeah. Google Fort Knox. (laughs) Why don't you? So (laughs) anyway, so, there is this movement in the Democratic side to really be behind the whole silver-backed currency. Now, not all Democrats are going to agree with that. And I don't even believe, Ben, you can correct me on this, but I don't even believe Grover Cleveland was in that camp. 
So this actually divides the Democrats a bit, but it also, (laughs) well, I, and and the reason I say that is because it actually ends up unifying the Democrats in another way. And that's where you have this realignment because there are some Republicans who are like, Hey, silver. Um, that doesn't sound too bad, but this is primarily happening on the Democratic side. So there are people from the East who are like, um, yeah, this, this is okay. <laughs> this is okay. We can handle this, right? We're okay with the whole silver thing. That's fine. And then you've got people in the Midwest and they're kind of like, uh, I'm a little nervous about that. <laughs> and then in the South, they're just like, um, Democrat, that's the way I'm going to vote. And right, right. that's just the way it's going to be. So William Jennings Bryan, he is speaking with passion, with charisma. He's speaking on behalf of the farmers He's very much, uh, and this seems, it almost seems like what comes around goes around because as people are moving to the cities and and things are becoming more industrialized and urban, William Jennings Bryan is the guy who is like, hey, hey, wait a second. If it wasn't for the farmer, you wouldn't have the city thing going on because y'all got to eat. Right, yeah. When he was out west, uh, or midwest, I guess you could say, he, he I don't, I forget the exact quote, but he said something to the effect of, "If you burn the city down, but you leave the farm standing, the city will rebuild itself. If you burn down the farm, the city can't, and the city can't rebuild itself because the farm fuels everything." And so that went over really well when he was giving speeches and everything in the Midwest and in those farm states and. Um, when he came to the cities and tried to get a little bit of support there, even though he didn't spend a whole lot of time in the cities, it didn't go over quite as well when he would say things like that. So um, he definitely called for this reform of the monetary system and he really wanted to end the gold standard. That's what we know him best for, at least at this point in history. Uh, But the thing that most garnered support for him was probably his strong support of the agricultural industry. Right. And hey, Ben, I would be remiss if I didn't mention who William Jennings Bryan, who he defeated uh-huh. on for the <laughs> for the Democratic nomination. Uh-huh. And and that was none other than Richard Silverdick Bland. Uh he defeated him by a three to one margin. <laughs> uh I just thought I'd offer that. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Thank you, and, Arthur and, Arthur Sewall. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was a shipbuilder, and I find it interesting. Like I've heard people say his name Seawall. My uh, history teacher in high school said Seawall all the time, mm-hmm. and because he was well known for other things at this time, and he was actually a shipbuilder, and so he would always make the pun. You remember Seawall? He built ships. And I'm like, okay, well, but now it's funny to me now that I'm a dad. So. <laughs> Bad jokes are funny to me. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. That's that's great. Because mm-hmm. I was going to correct you, 
And it's the wall. I yeah. was wrong. You were going to correct me. It may be seawall, but it looks like seawall to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, hey, if uh, anybody wants to offer their opinion on how to pronounce old Arthur's name. Uh, yeah. We'll know. probably ignore it. But. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> so the those people who were like, um, William Jennings Bryan, you are crazy for liking silver so much. We are going to take our gold and I don't know what we're going to do with it, but we're just going to take our gold elsewhere. But we don't want to be part of the Republicans. So we're going to start our own party, and that would be called the National Democratic Party. That's right. And uh, they were often called, or now they're often called the Gold Democrats, just because of their stance on gold, of course. And so they're like, well, um, what do we do? I guess we should have a convention, right? That's what all the good parties do. And... They come together. They bring together delegates from 41 different states, which is impressive for a brand new party, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, they're like, well, who, who should we nominate? How about Grover Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. And it's kind of funny because they were all about, okay, who are the people who are going to invigorate Democrats the most? Well, of right. course, Thomas Jefferson, right? Uh-huh. Andy Jack uh-huh. and Grover Cleveland. And Grover Cleveland is like, mm, nah. No. Nah, not so much. Not going to do it. So they're thinking, okay, two out of three. If Thomas Jefferson were still alive, he'd be ancient. And if Andy Jack were still alive, he would be really old. So let's get somebody who's really old. So they stick John Palmer, who was a senator in the past. He was a former senator from Illinois. He was their nominee, and he was 79 years old. (laughs) And just because they thought, well, you know, in case he were to pass, which is prone to happen at that age, especially at this time period, we'd want somebody young and invigorated to take over for him as vice president. So let's nominate Simon Buckner. He's only 73. Yeah. A youngin. Mm -hmm. But they nominated him unanimously for vice president. And, it's the oldest combined age in American history as far as a, uh, a ticket goes, which is a lot. And and actually, at the same time, um, Brian was the youngest ever. Yeah. Which you so, mentioned earlier, I think. Yeah. So it, it's kind of funny because, I mean, the Democrats at this point, you know, if you're just looking objectively and I guess looking back through the annals of history, we can maybe look at it a little bit more objectively. It just doesn't make sense. What, what were these people doing? You've just split the party and it's kind of funny because, and and one thing Ben that I really love about 
you know, 1896, it's not that long ago. So we're, mm-hmm. we're starting to see some of these personalities come out and I'm a baseball fan uh-huh. and Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He later became the commissioner of baseball, uh, back in the Chicago white Sox scandal, the black Sox scandal when they allegedly threw the world series and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, well he was alive and well during this era and he actually was quoted as saying, you would laugh yourself sick when you saw old Palmer. He has actually gotten into his head that he's running for office. So so the people in this era were like, are you serious? Right. Is, is this real? Are, are you really planning on this happening for you? <laughs> Which is sad because it's a... It, Sad in a way, the the party is a pretty strong faction of people from a pretty strong party. I mean, that's one of the top two parties. They split off because of primarily one big thing, and 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 now, hundred and twenty years later, we look at it and say oh, that's not really that big of a deal. Right. But then they they took so much stock in it that they split off, created a new party, and like tanked themselves into the ground, basically. Yeah. So you had a couple of other parties that were in the mix. You had the Populist Party, and they uh, were pretty much behind William Jennings Bryan, although they wanted to nominate somebody else for vice president, um, which why would a party do that? It's just because that's what you did. It was still 1896, right? So. Well, so, and if it had worked out differently, <laughs> that would have probably been okay. But I wonder, like, if they if that person gets nominated, does then does the populist party win? At we don't even have to worry about it then, right? Right. But I mean, like, their <laughs> candidate won. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, sure I, that sounds great. <laughs> um and. The social, the movement of socialism, that was nothing new to our current era or even the Cold War era. Uh, there was the Socialist Labor Convention that was held in New York, and they nominated uh, Charles uh, Matt Shett of New York and Matthew McGuire of New Jersey. And really, uh, hey, their platform sounds uh, reasonable. They They were like... Let's reduce the number of hours people have to work and mines and railroads and canals and telegraphs and telephones and a bunch of other utilities should be taken over by the government and the Senate should be abolished. Women should be able to vote and there should be a uniform criminal law throughout the United States. So they were pretty much written off as fringe. They kind of just went off on a little bit of everything, didn't they? I, I think they might not have been very happy with the system of government that was in place. Right. You've still got the uh, Prohibition Party. You've still got the Socialist Labor Party. Oh, I guess they're not old. They're new, aren't they? The Socialist Labor Party. I think they just kind of threw in some words <laughs> from previous <laughs> parties. You've got the broad gauge prohibition party um, that not even really worth talking about at this point. And that kind of rounds out everything. I mean, when it comes down to it, 
it's still just Democrats and Republicans. Right. And so being taken seriously anyway. Right. And and, and so it's kind of funny because don't you feel like every two years there's a congressional election Uh that the party who doesn't get the majority, the media just pounces on the losing party and they say, this party is in shambles and how in the world are they going to reinvent themselves? And then two years later, the party who was in shambles ends up winning and the media kind of turns on that losing party. Well, it's nothing different. So in the situation of 1896, the Republicans were like, oh my goodness, what just happened to our competition? (laughs) Right. Right. And oops. Yeah. We're, uh, should we take this seriously still or should we turn it around? What? And then Brian's like, well, I have three and a half million dollars, so we might as well go for it. Yeah. So um, you've got William Jennings Bryan and the guy is campaigning his heart out. He is crisscrossing the country. And keep in mind, this is like on railroad tracks, right? This isn't like I'm hopping on board a plane. This is, I'm going out there. And I think somewhere I I read that he gave, it was just in a matter of maybe a hundred or 200 days, maybe 300 days. He gave like 500 speeches. The guy is just going nuts. That is pretty insane. And meanwhile, McKinley He's sitting on his porch, and people are coming to him. Yeah, literally, he's the dude sitting on his porch. They're bringing in trains worth of people, and I'm sure caravans full of people as well, just to come and talk to him and see how he's doing, what he's got to say. (laughs) They're bringing the press out, of course, and, and sometimes when there were no visitors, the press would just sit, and he'd talk to them and tell them what to write about and ask them their opinions on things. It's kind of a, a cool idea um, that, you know, you just have people come to you. And I want to say that it, I saw one of the days, I can't find it right now. I'm looking at the notes, but on one of the days he had 30,000 people at his door. Wow. And that, that number may be off. So I apologize if it is, but it was in the thousands for sure. And even just a few thousand would be overwhelming for me if they all showed up at my house. But he was even, you know, I think it was more like 30,000 and he's just chilling out talking to everybody, literally sitting on his front porch. Yeah. And I mean, he's got plenty of money coming in. Um, You know, he's got Hannah bringing in, bringing in all kinds of money. He's got a huge support group that is out there speaking the message of um, guys, we're in a depression. William Jennings, Bryan, he's a religious fanatic and he's actually dangerous for our country because his economic policies are just going to continue down this horrible path that we're going in. And they even printed fake dollar bills Right. Which had Brian's face on it and said, in God we trust for the other 53 cents. And that was illustrating their claim that a dollar bill would be worth only 47 cents if it was backed by silver instead of gold. Exactly. And and this is one of the first kind of um, 
elections where you see different minorities, not even minorities, but different sections of the country because of their background voting one way or another in a swing apart from the idea of slavery and everything like that. But you've got uh, the Irish Catholics hate Brian. They hate his, uh, his rhetoric. They hate the fact that he is, um, we didn't mention this, but I think in 1896, uh, Brian came out and said he was pro prohibition. And so who would hate it more than the Irish Catholics uh, who would hate prohibition more? Right. Um, you've got uh, you've got the bourbon businessmen from the party that left the Irish alone. They kind of they kind of let them do their own thing, and you've got all these men who are selling bourbon um, who are sticking it out with Brian, and then just some other people just aren't really thrilled about everything, especially in the Northeast. And they're just, they're not given a whole lot of money. They're, uh, they're not contributing a whole lot to that three and a half billion he raised, except for some people who were in some silver mining and whatnot. But for the most part, um, he, he is one of the few presidents who was able to take the, I'm sorry, not presidents, few people who ran, <laughs> who was able to take such a large portion of the country without taking much of the Northeast at all. And it's uh, when you look at the map and see the different colors, it's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, it's kind of funny in a way because Brian was going around talking about, you know, the importance of farming and, uh, like that quote that you mentioned earlier, Ben, about, you know, burn your cities and leave our farms and your cities will spring up again. Um, that didn't go over too well in the urban areas, which right. really runs contrary to the way things are now because urban areas tend to be more Democrat and the rural areas more Republican. But Brian only carried uh, Troy, Ohio, New York, New York, and Fort Wayne, Indiana, as far as urban centers go. Everything else went McKinley, because even the major labor unions who are typically staunchly Democrat were like, ah, don't think we can endorse this guy. Right. And that um, that speech in which he gave that quote uh, and many other quotes that are popular for him was called the cross of gold speech. Um, I think just the fact we we can just mention that and many of you will be like, oh, that's that guy. Uh, when I think of his name, I think of, of that and something else we'll get to down the road here. But uh, if you want to read the cross of gold speech, of course, you can go look it up. But um, he's well known for the cross of gold speech and, and the burn your cities down and leave our farms speech, or I'm sorry, section came out of that speech as well. In different forms across the country, it came in different ways. Yeah, so... It's not enough just to be a great speaker and be running for president because you had Teddy Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. He was who the Republicans really threw out there. And Roosevelt, he was a pretty good speaker. And he did a 
great job painting William Jennings Bryan as a radical. Mm -hmm. And there was one instance of Bryan going against some of his advisors. And I believe it was in this election. And I'm sure we'll get a lot of feedback if it wasn't in this particular one, because just speaking a little bit into the future, uh, these two guys are going to face off again. Mm -hmm. But, but, uh, Brian was encouraged to campaign in the upper South, like Kentucky and, and the Midwest. And he ends up going East Whoops. and yeah, the East was already, everybody knows the East is going to go McKinley and Brian doesn't. And well, you want to talk about the election? I think so. But before we do that, why don't we take a quick break? So, Ben. Yeah? What do you do when you're not podcasting? When I'm not podcasting, I uh, hang out with my kids. I go to work. um, I run a business. I also do some consulting. Oh, yeah. What do you do when you're not podcasting? I I hang out on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. There are people still on Google+. No. And, you know, a little Instagram here and there. Yeah, sure. Why not? And I love to tell others how they can do the same. So I guess you could call that consulting. It sounds like we're both um, consulters. Is that that's a that's a word, right? Yeah. Maybe consultants is a better one to go with, I guess. I, I think that's probably better, Ben. Hey, if you're looking for ways to increase your social media presence, if you run a business or a Facebook or other page and you would like some help with that, or if you're looking to start a podcast, grow your podcast, or um, you just kind of want to know what it's all about, hit up Jason and I. We can tell you a little bit more about how each of those things work. We do professional consulting and have some clients on our dockets. Is docket a thing? Is that still like? I think they only use that in court now, don't they? Um, Dockets. It, we're we're kind of talking about courts. Okay, cool. Well, if you if you're interested, make sure just to send us an email to info at electioncollege.com. Okay, so the election of 1896. It happens. People actually go to the polls. Yeah, that's right. McKinley uh, gets a pretty solid victory. He takes, as we kind of have alluded to, the east, the northwest. I'm sorry, that's wrong. The east and the northeast. And uh, Brian did well among some of the farmers of the south and then the west and the rural Midwest, like we alluded to as well. Um, There's this gigantic German-American block of voters that supports McKinley. And... um, he did also gain some majorities across different middle class, factory. I mean, pretty much every category, it's predictable how they're going to go uh, when you look at it at this time period. And turns out that everything was actually pretty close as far as the elect- or, sorry, the popular vote goes. McKinley gets 51%. Brian gets 47%. But the Electoral College doesn't play out quite that way. Yeah, and... Uh, just before we talk about the Electoral College, it's kind of interesting to note that there is, and I'm going to say a Southern term because I lived in the South for a while, there's a whole mess of counties that went Republican. If you look at East Tennessee, 
it is Republican. If you look at large sections of Texas, Republican. So even though that has no bearing on what we're going to talk about with the electoral vote, there were a lot of counties, especially on the coasts, uh, that went for McKinley instead of Bryan. Yeah. But anyway, back to the Electoral College. McKinley wins in a landslide. I mean, we're talking almost 61% to almost 40%. So, woohoo! McKinley wins. Yeah, McKinley. Hey, and let's not forget the fact that um, we had that third party that popped up, the, um, the other Democrats, the gold Democrats. Oh, yeah. They didn't actually carry any states, but it certainly is plausible and probably even likely that they pulled enough of the votes away from Brian that it lost in the election. So man, that 51% to 47%, probably at least the popular vote would have been closer or turned around the opposite way. And the electoral college can easily swing as we've seen before with just a couple thousand votes. Sometimes uh, can swing hard one way or another. So just a little tip. If you happen to be a political party chairman do everything you can to make sure your party is unified after your convention. <laughs> Come together, be unified, and go out there and rock the vote together. Yeah, don't let it split up. Guys, stay together. You're good together. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ben, anything else about 1896? I think that's going to be everything from me. Um, I wanted to remind people, if, if you're listening to this as it comes out, Christmas is coming up or whatever holiday you celebrate, or maybe you just like to buy yourself things. And um, we can't help you any, but you can help us. <laughs> if you go over to electioncollege.com slash Amazon uh, and you buy everything the way you would normally buy it for the same price you would normally buy it, it won't cost you a penny more, but it'll help out Election College. Yeah. What's better heading into the holiday season than helping a couple of talking cousins? <laughs> so, hey, if you want to connect with us, we are on social media because that's what we do. We are at Election College on Twitter at Election College on Facebook and at Election College on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And we also have a website, Ben. What is that? It's electioncollege.com. Go figure. Oh, that makes sense. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.